I uh, was just struck by that song and the prayer that comes along with it. Open my heart, make it clean. Help me love like you love. Man, we live in a time in our world, in our country, where, where that should be our prayer. God, open my heart. <laughs> open my heart and make it clean. Help me see you and help me do the things that you would want me to do and, and the way you would want me to do them. And help me love the way that you love. And so I hope that as we were singing that, you made that your prayer. This is really the heart of the message that we've been looking at as we've been studying the book of Acts. And as we look at the book of Acts and we study it, we look at it as this historical document that tells us about the beginning of the church and how the church started. And on the first day, if you remember, we talked about this last week, Peter, he he preached a sermon and, and he preached this sermon, and then Dr. Luke, the writer of Acts, re- tells us what, what the crowd's response was. You remember? They were cut to the heart. And, and over 3,000 people turned to Christianity that day. And, and the church began and exploded. And the growth happened for the next several decades, uh, literally the next several decades, until Christianity became one of the most powerful forces in the entire Roman Empire. And so they didn't become the most powerful force through political means or through uh, great administration or through sword and, and, and war. Christianity became the most powerful through individual persuasion. God using individual people to accomplish something grand and huge and beyond comprehension. And so this is the question I've been asking for the last several weeks, and we'll ask you again, how did this happen? How did this happen? Especially when we consider that God used ordinary, everyday, blue-collar, uneducated people, men and women, to accomplish this. How did this happen? And the answer to the question is this, the Holy Spirit came along and emphasized this message and filled them with a power that was outside of themselves. And this power came inside and the message and the Holy Spirit cut people to the heart and the Holy Spirit came in and took this message and pushed it down into the core of their souls until they were moved to action. That's what happened. And so how do we know the Holy Spirit comes in us? How do we know the Holy Spirit comes in us and gives us new life? How do we know it has come? This is what I know, that that life, and new life especially, always expresses itself. Always. When a baby is alive, what does the baby do? The baby kicks. The baby cries. And the baby sucks. This is how you know a baby is alive because they're kicking and they're screaming and they're crying and they're sucking and they're doing all of these things. Life has signs. Life has signs. And as we look at the early church, we see the signs of new life, of this new community, of this new thing that God was doing. And I realize that what I'm about to say is a bold statement. And I also want you to know, I'm not gonna be the judge, I can't be the judge, but if we evaluate our lives and we can't find the signs that we're talking about this morning, then we need to ask ourselves what kind of Jesus we're following. Again, this is hard and it's harsh 
And it's a bold statement. And I, and I will not be the judge of your faith. And I will not be the judge of your discipleship and your Christianity. But what we are going to do is we're going to look at the original documents. We're going to look at the original history. And we're going to see how, how the first Christians were described and how they operated. How, how their signs of this new life were visible. And if these signs are not in us or have not been in us or are weakened in us, then maybe they used to be stronger in us. Then we need to begin thinking clearly about how to say to God, God, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, will you strengthen this in me? Will you develop these deeper in me? And this is why we study Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 through 47, whenever Christianity is flourishing, whenever the Spirit of God is moving, whenever the Spirit of Christianity is flourishing, whenever there's a high love and a high joy and a high peace in the hearts of these people, whenever there is society power changing power in the church, these signs are evident. And so let's look together at Acts chapter 2 at what these signs are. We're going to start at verse 42, a very popular section of Scripture that you've heard me talk about many times. That's what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their home, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Man, when we see this, we see a power that has come upon them. And what we see is they devoted themselves to some things. That's what verse 42 says. They devoted themselves. What does devote mean? It means they gave themselves to these things. They submitted themselves to these things. They devoted themselves to all of these things. They abandoned themselves to these things unselfishly. They did this in response to the gospel, to the message. What was the message? We've been talking about this for the past couple of weeks. The message is this. Jesus is alive. We saw him. We touched him. We ate with him. We spent time with him. He is not dead. He is alive and he ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God today. And if we really believe the gospel, then we too will find ourselves devoted to these same things. And so what are they? Well, the first one is this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. <laughs> they de devoured. They absolutely ate up what was being taught. They, they taught salvation is a gift from heaven, and it comes from outside of you, and you can't do anything to earn it. Just like the wind came from outside of you, and the fire came from outside and dwells, we have to get the teaching and the words of God inside of us. That's what we have to do. And see, our culture tells us another thing. Our culture tells us, you know what, to really find meaning and purpose and helpfulness and, and happiness and joy in your life, you have to look with inside yourself. And I, I don't want to mock too much, but this is what we say. We say there's too many things that are bad around us that have conformed us, and therefore what we have to do is we have to search deep inside ourselves for our inner beauty that is within us, and if we would just learn how to manage our problems better, and if we could learn how to manage the people around us better and the circumstances around us better, and we channel our inner child or our inner self 
then we can be beautiful again. And that's what culture teaches us. But when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Christianity, is it possible that we struggle with Christianity at times because Christianity says the problem isn't around you. The problem is you. Is it possible that, that maybe that's sometimes why we feel a little uncomfortable when it comes to Christianity? Maybe, maybe the reason we're unhappy isn't because of our work situation. Maybe we're not unhappy because of the stock market that crashed. Or, or maybe it's not because of our bad marriage. The reason we're unhappy is because there's a problem inside of our souls. There's a problem deep inside our hearts. There is something in our heart that is dead and dissatisfied and wrong. And what we need is not a change necessarily in our circumstances. What we need is a transformation in the heart. See, the only way to make our heart new, to make our heart alive, to make our heart full again. The only way to renew our soul and to make our heart right and satisfied is to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And I know that this sounds right. We devote ourselves to the teaching and, and we get it from the outside and we put it on the inside of us. And guess what happens? It comes cutting and, and thrashing and doing things to renew our souls and our hearts and to, to transform us completely. There's no way around this. There's no shortcuts. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to be committed to becoming a lifelong learner. We have to. We have to. Here's the reality. I cannot survive in this world that is filled with lies and with deception and with dysfunction. I cannot survive a day in my life without having scriptures fill my life. I can't do it. When I watch the news or read the news highlights or I, I scroll through Facebook or Twitter and I see everything that's going on in the world, the lies and the deception and the dysfunction and the hurt and the pain and the brokenness, the, I mean, these are, these are horrible things that are happening all around us. I cannot, I cannot survive a day without having Scripture in my life. I, I can't do it. It's a means of survival for me, I have to put it to memory and I cannot survive without it. We have to put the words of Scripture because they are about the Word. And who is the Word? Jesus is the Word. And when I read about Jesus and the words of Jesus, who is the Word in my heart, it's survival. I don't know what you're doing to make sure that daily you're figuring out a way to make sure that scriptures and, and, and God's words to us are filling our hearts and our souls so that we might be able to survive in a world that is, is vicious right now. They devoted themselves to another thing. What did they devote themselves? To the apostles' teaching, but they also devoted themselves to each other. Here's why. Jesus gave himself for them. Jesus poured out his life for them. And so they devoted themselves to each other just like Jesus devoted them, himself to them. They, they did this by meeting in homes. They did this by meeting in small groups. See, there was this big church. There's this big group. There's this big thing that happened. 3,000 people turned to Christianity that day. But guess what happened? They didn't have a place big enough to fit 3,000 people. And so they began gathering together in small groups. And it's about 
being in a small group. It's about what happens in a small group. Small groups were like a family where they loved and they served and they cared for one another and they gave themselves to each other. See, see, they were together as 3,000, and then day by day, they went places together. They broke bread together in their homes, and the word together appears several times in these verses. Look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 44. All who believed were what? Together, and they had all things in common. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple, what? Together, and doing what? Breaking breads in their home together, Right? And see, when it comes to small groups, which is a big part of, of Mountain View, to be honest with you, as a matter of fact, I've said to our staff and I've said to our leadership, if it wasn't for our grow groups, I'm not for sure where our church would have been in this COVID-19 stuff. Uh, people are caring for one another in ways that, that blow me away at Mountain View within their groups. And so when it comes to groups, I've heard people evaluate their groups by what they get out of it. And so I hear people say something like, well, you know what? A small group doesn't really work for me. And see, the problem is that we evaluate many aspects of our life in terms of how, what we can take for ourselves, what we can get out of something. When we become the center of our own selfish little universe, that's what happens. But guess what happened in the early church? They didn't say, you know what? I'm really interested in Christianity, and I want to see what Christianity can do for me. I'm interested in joining a small group to see what the small group can do for me. No, no, no. They devoted themselves to one another. Why? Because Jesus had committed himself to them. And they were a part of that, and they witnessed that. And so in the early church, they gathered in homes. They devoted themselves to each other. We give ourselves away. This is one of the signs of new life in a Christian. This is one of the signs that is evidence of God doing something and the Holy Spirit coming upon us is that we give ourselves away. And when we do, we become more like Jesus. And then we start to get something out of the Christian life. Not first. We need to become disciples not consumers. And this has been a challenge for Christianity in our culture for a long time because we want to be a part of a church that does it my way. We want to be a part of a church that, that does things the way I want them to be. It, no, it doesn't matter what we do. It matters that we devote ourselves to one another. And then when we devote ourselves to one another, the things, our preferences, they become secondary. Why? Because we're in relationship with each other. What is the church? The church is this assembly, something that we give ourselves to. And according to Acts chapter 2, when we look at Acts chapter 2, you cannot be a true disciple of Jesus and be disconnected from his church. How do we devote ourselves to each other if we can't commit ourselves to the church? For a long time, I've heard this phrase, I love Jesus, but I hate his church. That's like saying, Pastor Tom, we love you, but we hate your wife. Hey, Pastor Tom, could you come to our house for dinner tonight? But could you leave your wife at home, please? Like, that's just not going to go very well. That's not going to work. I'm probably going to decline the offer to your home for dinner, regardless of how great your meal might be, because you've just dissed my wife. And this is what we do. The bride of Christ is, is the church. 
Jesus' bride is the church, and we say often, well, I love Jesus, but I can't stand his bride. Man, I'd love to have a lot of Jesus, but I don't want to have much of his bride. Whoa! We cannot love Jesus and hate his bride. If we follow Jesus, we stick up for his bride. We, we make his bride better. We do everything we can to accomplish more through his bride. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They also devoted themselves to each other. And then third, they devoted themselves to the presence of God. What do I mean by that? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. It's this idea of breaking bread. Paul explains to us as he wrote this letter to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians that we are participating in the presence of Jesus himself when we celebrate communion together. Why is it that every Sunday morning still we pause and and Pastor Craig's been coming up here with a cup of juice and, and some bread and we participate in communion. We encourage you to get up from your couch or your chair or your table, wherever you might be watching this live feed and we say get, get some sort of bread and get some sort of juice so that together we can break bread together. And the reason that we do that is because communion is the special time that Jesus promised to be present in a very special way. And so they devoted themselves to this. They believed that the Spirit of God was on each and every one of them. And Paul also explained that each one of them came to the gathering ready, ready to be used by the Spirit of God, ready to hear the words that would be spoken, ready to gain insights from one another. This is what it was all about. In other words, they gathered expecting to be in the presence of God, they, they, they gathered expecting to be used by God. I, just let me ask this morning, as you logged on to our YouTube channel, right now there's 170 of you who are watching. That's at least what my number says. This is my question. When you logged on this morning and you got ready and you fired up your computer or you turned on your iPhone or you, or you logged on to your smart TV, whatever device that you're using to gather with us this morning and you, you logged on to Mountain View's YouTube, what did you expect? What were you expecting? Are you expecting to meet with God this morning? Are you expecting to gather with God this morning? Are you expecting to be in the presence of God this morning? Are you expecting to hear good music and a good sermon? Are you expecting this morning that you're going to hear something and it is going to push you so that you can be used by God? See, one of the signs of the early church was when they gathered, they were expecting to be in the presence of God and they were expecting to be in the presence of God and to be used by God, to be challenged and to be set on mission by God. And one of the reasons that we have continued to stay in our lane, that's the phrase I've used with our leadership, to stay in our lane, what is it? Right now, I'm speaking these words live to you. I realize a lot of people have said, you know what, I thought you were recording these in the midweek and then you were publishing them. No, this is live. Right now, I I am preaching to a camera. And and maybe you're about 30 seconds behind me by the time it gets to your TV. And one of the reasons that we did that 
is because at Mountain View, we've been in the practice of either at 9 o'clock or at 1040, gathering together. And we don't gather together for the sake of gathering together. We gather together because we expect to be in the presence of God. And we gather together expecting that God is going to use us to accomplish his mission in this broken, lost world. And so I don't know if you logged on this morning thinking, well, Sunday morning is church, that's what I do. I hope not. I hope that you logged on this morning expecting God to be present. I hope that you logged on this morning to be challenged. I hope you logged on this morning expecting God to use you to make this world a better place. That's what I hope. What happens? Acts chapter 2, verse 43. And awe. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. When God is present, there is this hushed awe. Not always noisy. And the question I'm asking this morning is, is does, does the spirit of awe define our church? Certainly we can't gather in this room together right now, but there should be a spirit of awe in every one of our homes right now. There should be a spirit of awe. Does the spirit of awe define your grow group? Do you gather expecting to meet with God? And are you ready expecting to partner with the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to do the work of God? They also devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. The early Christians, they were dependent on God. When we can feel intimately their dependence on God. They prayed all the time. If you were to read through the whole book of Acts, when someone was in trouble, guess what they did? They prayed. When they had a need, guess what they did? They prayed. When they were scared, you know what they did? They prayed. When they were in conflict, they prayed. When they didn't know what to do, they prayed. See, Jesus left the early disciples in a state of total dependence. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he instructed them to go up into the upper room and wait there for the Holy Spirit. You know what they did for 10 days? They prayed. They prayed. And then the Holy Spirit came on the disciples and being filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter preached this 10-minute sermon that cut to the hearts of many souls, right? And 3,000 people were baptized that day. They prayed for 10 days, he preached for 10 minutes, and suddenly 3,000 people were baptized and saved that day. And see, I often think sometimes what we do is we pray for 10 minutes, we preach for 10 days, and a few people are saved. We got it all backwards. One of the signs of new life in a Christian is they prayed, they were devoted. Acts chapter 2, verse 43 says this, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. See, tongues, fire, healing. God was attesting to the proclamation of the gospel by the signs and the wonders. And I know that there's always a big question. I get the question often when we're, we're navigating through our, our new believers or our new, our new attendees type of processes. I'm all, often asked the question, well, what do you believe about healing and, 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 and fire and tongues and all of these things? And, and here's what I know. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3, 4 tells us God, God gave the apostles unusual abilities for a period of time to authenticate the message of Jesus. 
And it doesn't necessarily that God does these things or doesn't do these things today. I'm not going to be the judge of that. However, we should not expect them as regular or normative as they were in in the book of Acts. Instead, we have the writings of Paul, for example. And Paul talks to us about what the miracles and the healing and the fire and the tongues are for us today. For example, 1 Timothy chapter 4 says this, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set believers, set the believers an example. In what? In speech, and in conduct, in love, in faith, and in unity. See, sometimes this is where we miss the point. How do we validate the message of Jesus? How do we validate the gospel that Jesus is alive and he's sitting at the right hand of God today? The way we validate the message of Jesus to a broken, messed up, lost world is through our forgiveness and our love and our unity and our faith and our purity and our generosity. All of these things are miraculous evidences that God is alive. That there's something going on inside of me and there's nothing going on inside of you. And when we neglect forgiveness and we neglect love and unity and faith and generosity and purity... We neglect the miraculous evidence of an alive Savior who died for the sins of the world, was buried in a tomb, but rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God right now, empowering you and me to be forgiving people and loving people and unifying people and purity people and generosity people to a world that stands in disbelief. And so Acts chapter 2 verse 44 says, And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and they're distributing the proceeds to any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple courts together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and with generous hearts. One of the signs of new life in us, this Holy Spirit, is generosity. Glad hearts, glad hearts implies joyful and satisfied. They gave away their money and they were happy about it. When's the last time you gave something away and you were happy about it? Not because you finally got it out of the garage, because it made a difference in somebody else's life. Did you know that the average person living in the United States today spends $1.26 for every dollar they earn? I know, go do the math. It doesn't work, does it? One of the evidences of the gospel taking root in a person's life is they become glad and generous. (laughs) That's one of the early Christians found greater joy in sharing than receiving. Here are a couple of simple questions, because I don't want to harp on this this morning. Here are a couple of simple questions to ask ourselves to identify whether or not the gospel is really rooted in our life or not. Here's number one. How much joy could I have if I didn't spend anything? If I didn't spend any money, how much joy would I have? Second question. Am I glad and generous in God or am I glad and generous in my stuff? If I lost it all, would I be demoralized or would I be okay? Do I worship the thing I am supposed to give away? See, these are tough questions. But when we ask these questions, there is a result. Look what happens in verse 47. They were praising God. And guess what? They had favor with all the people. 
And the Lord, the Lord continued to add to their number day by day those who were being saved. Those who were turning to Christianity. How did this spread? How did this take over the Roman Empire within three centuries? How did this happen? Because there was new life. And the signs and the evidence of this new life were visible to all people. And what was the result? The result was evangelism. The spread of the gospel. And all of these things validate the message. What is the message? Please don't forget the message. The message is this, that Jesus is alive. And in, in June of 2020, almost July of 2020, that message is still as loud and clear as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus is alive. Please never neglect the message. And when we have a group of people devoted to so much to the message that they're willing to suffer for the message, no longer live for themselves, but to give themselves to each other, are so joyful in Jesus that they don't need money or stuff, when they believe so strongly in God that their gatherings are characterized by prayer and a sense of God's presence and expecting God to use them, you know what happens? People believe. People turn to Jesus. People want to know more. These small groups of people were loving, praying, serving, and giving in the streets. That's where they were at. They didn't say, hey, come to our building and we'll tell you about Jesus. They went they were devoted and they gave themselves to these things. This is what happens. We talked about this a few weeks ago. When truth and power, when the truth that Jesus is alive and the power of the Holy Spirit intersect, guess what? They were captured by the truth and they yielded to the Spirit. They were captured by the truth. Don't miss this. And they yielded to the Spirit. It was no longer they who lived, but Jesus within them pressed down so deep into the soul that they were cut to the heart and their life was transformed and there was evidence of new life and what was the evidence of the new life? They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to the presence of God, expecting God to do something in them and through them. They devoted themselves to be generous and glad and to share and to give. They devoted themselves. See, God came from heaven to earth to rescue and save them, so they devoted themselves to his word as their life depended on it. God had given the, himself to them. And so they gave themselves to each other. God had given them a joy in the Holy Spirit that was better than the joy of money, so they freely gave things away. <laughs> and God had given them the Holy Spirit and made the promises about how he would use them, how he would use them, so they prayed urgently. And they expected God's presence and power to show up. How about you and me? Are we devoted? Are we devoted? Are these things true about your life? Are they true about my life? 
Is it possible that we can measure the level of our belief, our belief by the measure we've devoted ourselves to the same things? Think about that. Maybe part of the problem in the world is we've neglected this new life, this new community, the signs and the evidence of what the Holy Spirit does. When the Holy Spirit, when he comes in us and he presses down in us, we're cut to the heart. And suddenly we abandon these other things and we become fully devoted, completely devoted to one another, to the teaching, to prayer, and to God's presence, to generosity. And does this define your life? People look at you. Do they see the signs? Do they see the evidence of an alive Jesus who's at the right hand of God? Does the world see the miraculous evidence of a live Jesus through your forgiveness and your love and your unity and your purity and your faith and your generosity? This is it. These are the signs. These are the evidences of new life. Do you have them? We're going to sing a song, and my hope right now is that you would think about this as we sing this song. As we prepare for our communion time and our prayer time, I, I, would, I would ask that you do whatever you have to do to get into a posture of expecting God to do something. Expecting God to use you and so whatever you have to do while we sing the song, prepare your heart with an expecting God to show up and to use you. Let's sing.